this month on A Geography of Colour podcast, I'm talking with painter Charlie Peters. Charlie is a contemporary British painter who lives and works in London. She makes paintings where abstract language and screen aesthetics collide, remixing familiar motifs from art history, retro gaming and internet culture. Charlie explores contemporary painting as an expanded practice that is both physical and virtual and not limited to the surface of a canvas. Although essentially abstract, her works remind us of our real world, suggesting a transition in our ways of seeing from the once radical non-representation of high modernism to the everydayness of digital imagery. By working in the public sphere as well as in the studio, Charlie's work connects with a diverse range of audiences and reminds us that the power of creativity can change lives, enhance spaces and help us experience the world differently. Charlie exhibits internationally, showing recently at Hauser and Worth London, Meekin and Parsons, Oxford, Yantai Art Museum, Yantai, and the National Museum of Gdansk in Poland. Her clients include Meta, ITV, London Art Fair, House of Vans and Hospital Rooms. Charlie completed a PhD in fine art theory and practice and has contributed to writing about painting to online and print publications. She's a visiting tutor at Fine Art at City and Guilds of London Art School and an off-site mentor at Terps Art School, also a postgraduate senior lecturer at UAL. You can see more of Charlie's work on her website, charliepeters.com, and on Instagram at charliepeters. Hi, Charlie. It's really nice to be with you um, in your studio in South London today. Hi, Ruth. Thanks so much for visiting me today. I'm glad you've come on a day where it's actually quite sunny, even though it's a little bit cold in here. (laughs) Yeah, it's lovely. And you've got um, a great studio with um, a beautiful glass window, so uh, really good light. Yeah, and I think given some of the things we're going to talk about today, that that light is really good if you work with colour. So we'll be able to talk a bit about that, hopefully. So important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're here to talk about colour, and um, I just thought, well, it would be so lovely because your paintings, to me, are all about colour and light. Well, colour is something that is, like, really important to me as a painter. Um, And as you say, the studio I'm in now has a really big window, which has made a huge difference to the type of work that I make, actually. Previously, I had a studio with no natural light whatsoever and a a very low ceiling. And I don't think I used colour as much then. But as soon as I moved to a space where there was more light, I realised that, you know, it gives me the ability to make paintings that are investigating colour in a way that I couldn't do before. Because I literally couldn't see it in the same way. Um, And yeah, and all my paintings start with colour. I don't think I could make work if it didn't start with a colour. That's something that sort of sets the tone for the painting that's going to come from my first sort of layerings on the canvas. Oh, yeah. So can you say a bit more about your process then and how you start paintings? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a great ideas painter. Like, I don't start with an image in my head of what I'm going to paint or any idea of what the canvas is going to look like, which often I think that quite surprises people because my work has a, a sort of precision by the time it's resolved. But it starts from absolute nothingness and chaos. So... Whenever I start working on a painting, I I will put a layer of paint on the canvas, but I don't really overthink what colours I'm using to begin with. It's quite intuitive. 
And I usually think in terms of colour temperature, whether something is going to be hot or cold, or if it's going to be kind of bright and sunny or dark and moody and nocturnal, and then I'll work from that. So I always start with a sort of flat, usually a mid-tone colour, and then the next layer of paint, I'll start to vary the flat colour on the canvas from the edges. And I'll use a spray gun to do that, so you get these beautiful kind of dewy, almost sort of translucent layers of painting, which start to shift the tone and colour across the canvas and kind of give this illusion of kind of spatial depth, which I really like. Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm looking at some here and, and you can see the colour looks uh, slowly changing, say, from a brown through an orange through to a green, great, green grey. Yeah. Um, and it creates a space, doesn't it? It does. They, I see them as sort of spatial investigations, but the space is generated often by the, the way colour and tone works together on the, on the basis of the canvas. So it sounds like each painting then becomes um, an experiment or... Yeah, um, I'm definitely, I'm making the paintings from how I would say from the inside out rather than the outside in. They kind of grow as I'm painting. And it's a really exciting way to work because it means that every decision I make on the canvas could lead to a hundred more different decisions and a hundred more different paintings. So like there's no limits on the amount of work I'm ever going to be able to make. But there's frustrations with that is that at some point I'm going to run out of time for all these amazing imaginary paintings that are inside my head. That's an amazing way to proceed as well, because you're not expecting a certain thing. You know, it's open, isn't it, all the way. Um, at each point, you can make, go in lots of different directions. You're, you're not working with a map, really. No, and I love that kind of the energy that you get from that. Although bits of my painting are very slow and meticulous, they're still not kind of predetermined at the beginning of a new painting. So... You know, I might decide to make something on the canvas that takes quite a long time and involves a lot of masking or is quite intricate, but it's not planned before I start. And then the next thing I put on the canvas might be very quick and more gestural or mm. just a kind of hard edge shape that's quite flat colour. And I like these kind of dialogues between different types of painting within each canvas um, and different types of colours, sometimes colour relationships that are quite unexpected to be together as well. Yeah, because you've got quite an extreme of um, form and flatness as well, haven't you? Yeah, and I like those different languages working together. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a fairly indecisive person, I think, and I don't really have a kind of singular way of doing anything. And I like that I might have repeated motifs or ways of painting, but these can come in and out of different canvases. So it's almost like I have my, I'm developing my own alphabet or vocabulary of painting, which I then used to kind of make statements on canvas. It feels yeah. like a language. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And it feels quite urban as well. I know that you grew up in Birmingham, and you, uh, I've looked on your website, and I know you talk about kind of um, the world that you inhabited as a teenager. Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely informed and still is informing the work that I make. You know, I'm not the type of artist that goes into the countryside and feels greatly inspired to make beautiful paintings about the landscape. I love being in the city. I love the hard lines of the architecture, all the visual stimulation that you get here. I love graphics, street signage, graffiti, the kind of dirty, grimy bits. And I love the city at night with sort of neon artificial lighting. And, you know, that's how I grew up in that world. So it feels kind of nostalgic and familiar and safe to me. Um, being out in the countryside feels much more unsafe and scary, to be honest. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, um, uh, it's, it's a very honest way of working, isn't it? You're working with what's all around you. It's your everyday in a way, isn't it? Yeah, I, 
it's my world, you know, and I feel like I'm kind of remixing elements of, of my real world and creating something like alternative spaces on canvas. And, I, you know, the, the longer I live and the more I reflect on things, the more I start to think about where different sort of icons or motifs in my paintings come from. It's like, oh, yeah, that it definitely, there was a point in my life where I was just becoming very inspired and kind of visually fed by the world around me, you know. Mm sitting in the back of my mum's car at night driving around Birmingham or going to like um, amusement arcades on a Saturday with my nan or yeah. Uh, yeah, watching cartoons on TV or you know, playing computer games on my first home computer. I think that at that, that point in my life where I started to be a little bit older, growing away from my parents in my teenage years and listening to music and reading sort of sci-fi books, I can see now, I mean I didn't see it for years which is weird now looking at the work I make but it's like I think I'm now able to recognise that all those influences are probably more valid than I would have liked to think thought they were at some yeah. point you know yeah. I have very serious influences too if we're talking about high and low things but oh, yeah. I like yeah. that actually I think my work has a kind of authenticity that's based in my real world mm. yeah that's probably unique to to me which yeah, it's absolutely. Cool, yeah, yeah. And I'm inspired every day walking around the city. I mean, like the view out of my studio window, I love. It's yeah. really grimy and dirty, you know, and it's all broken down cars and tyres and mess. But I, you know, I would feel much less inspired probably if there was a beautiful field outside my window with not much going on. I like, you know, my yeah. mind's a, a busy space and it needs to be stimulated by lots of things. Yeah, there's an energy to that, isn't there? But. I think so, yeah. And I think it's definitely fed by the world that I live in. Um, yeah. You know, and I take a lot of photos while I'm walking around the streets as well. I have, uh, you know, like my camera is full of like little cropped areas of dirty buildings and bits of sort of scuff graffiti on walls. And yeah. I love that. I'm constantly excited by stuff that I see. And, and we recently met um, over in Ferrero in Portugal um, with Sluice and Pada and the Lisbon Art Fair. And it was really interesting to see the work that you were doing there where you went beyond the canvas and onto the buildings. Yeah, and about that. yeah, that's kind of something that's relatively new. I mean, like, I'm very inspired by the urban environment, but I don't really make that much work outdoors on walls. You know, I'm, I'm certainly got have no understanding or experience of what working as a, a sort of street artist would do at all. You know, I'm very much based in the studio. But actually, there is something really nice about making work that is in public spaces. I do, I have done that before, maybe sort of bigger murals, interior spaces, and sort of working on architectural spaces as well. But making work that's actually on an outside wall that everybody can see as they go past is, is kind of really exciting and liberating it feels like you're sharing your work in a different way yeah. um and Barrera is such a cool space to work in as well I mean, really inspiring again loads of great architecture really interesting bits of landscape there that that were kind of inspired the work as well there was a very particular type of light where you got very sort of dark harsh shadows I don't know if you remember we yeah. were lucky that we were there in November but it was still really beautiful weather really yeah. warm and yeah, I've never really seen sort of the depth of that kind of shadow before. It was really inspiring. It definitely kind of influenced the work I was making there. It was really interesting to see your work and how you'd picked up on local colours and, and shapes and designs. Um, and I felt that it had a real um, uh, nice interface with the actual surface of the buildings. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely kind of inspired by and made to be situated within that space. And that's what I really do like when I do work kind of in more public spaces Mm. is that, you know, architecture is quite hard to compete with. It's always like a kind of silent player in the theatre of the painting or the artwork that you're installing. So you sort of have to respond to that and accept that it's part of the work that you make. I would never be someone that would just slap a painting on the side of a building like it's a canvas because it just doesn't work for me. You, it feels like you're decorating a wall then. Yeah. It's like yeah. I think I need to make work that actually is part of the structure of the environment that it's in. I think, I think the way that you do work, or from what I've seen, you kind of illuminate. Uh, it's not decorative. I'm thinking of your steps at Wembley. Yeah. Do you want to say a bit about them? Yeah, so, I mean, I worked on those about a year ago um, and for um, an exhibition of work in public spaces across Wembley Park for International Women's Day in 2022. Um, and, and I was offered the opportunity to make some work on um, a set of stairs right in front of Wembley Stadium, which was, I mean, such a bizarre structure to work on, steps. I mean, they're such a... Because it's not a flat surface and you have to think of it in very small fragments of information, which... Ultimately, that worked really well for me, I think. When I started to draw out some ideas, it started to feel like each step was like a kind of pixel on a screen, um, which, you know, has some kind of resonance in some of the kind of influences and motifs that I use in my paintings. But, yeah, making work that is that scale changes how you, how you see the work that you make. You know, I work on relatively large canvases in the studio, but they're nowhere near as large as a massive set of steps in front of no. Wembley Stadium. And I loved that the work that I made there had the capacity to fill that area with colour, with colour and implied movement. Yeah. Um, and I think it really changed that space. It's great. I mean, like working in public sphere is, is amazing because it means you you can have an impact on people's everyday lives just as they're like walking to work. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, and I love that. I love the way that your work can connect with people in a very real way. Did you have to work differently? I mean, did you have to plan it out? We've just talked about you working on canvases and making your mind up as you go along. But yeah. with something like the Wembley Steps, was there a different process? There is a different process, because generally with those types of projects where you're getting commissioned to work with a, a client, they want to see an idea of what they're paying you for before it just <laughs> appears in the space. So I had to put together a proposal for them. And that is quite hard for me. If I sit down to try to think of an idea, I just can't do it. Nothing comes. So I have to develop sort of workarounds for those kinds of projects where I still feel like there's some intuition involved in how I make things. So I can't just come to the studio, sit at my desk and draw something out. That's just never going to work. I'm not a very good planner in art or life. If I plan something, it's just not going to go very well. I'm aware of that now. Yeah. so I have to develop ways of doing things. So generally I, I work with a process of kind of action and reaction. And so as long as I know that, as if I sort of start doing something without the pressure of it needing to be a finished idea, something will emerge from it eventually. Yeah. But I've developed this probably quite strange technique of walking around streets or sitting on a bus with a packet of post-it notes okay. and just doing automatic drawing. And then when I've sort of done that, because I'm, because I'm going somewhere, even if I'm just walking, you know, from the studio back home or rounding circles around the park, drawing as I go, I'm not kind of... All my consciousness isn't being put into the drawing, and that's the thing that stops me being creative, I think, is when I purposefully try to think, when I apply logic. Yeah. 
yeah. in the start of a process anyway. I can do that later on in a painting when I have something to respond to. So, yeah, basically to, to plan something like the Wembley Commission, you would see me walking around with a packet of post-it notes just drawing. <laughs> well, I mean, they do say that if you've got a problem to solve, a walk with it. You yeah. Know, if you sit, you'll find less answers. Yeah, yeah. The, the answers for me are always outside my own head. That yeah. Being in my own head doesn't have many answers, just loads more questions. So it's best to not go there if I can I, avoid it. And I suppose because you're uh, influenced by the urban environment, it'd be natural to walk in that environment because that's your source. Yeah, and I feel free out there as well. You know, I, I love living in a big city where there's loads of stuff going on where I'm free to walk around whenever I want to. Yeah, yeah. You know. uh, it's quite something quite nice about the city, the anonymity, really. And Yeah, you know, and I love that. I love being anonymous and just being left alone to walk around with a pack of post-it notes. No one really looks at you as if you're a massive weirdo, which probably, in some situations, you probably do look like a massive weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And um, I think you, you also did some uh, quite amazing work for hospital rooms. I think, uh, I'm thinking particularly, you might have done a few pieces, but I'm thinking of the piece down in Southampton mm. that really looks at where, I mean, it's imbued with colour theory, I think. But uh, Well, it's really interesting that you say that because actually I know very little about colour theory. I think I make colour up as I go along. I've tried to read, you know, like um, the Joseph Albers book, but yeah. actually, if I'm honest, I just enjoy looking at the pictures. And that seems to be my way of understanding a lot of art theory. I think I'm, in many ways, I'm not particularly academic in that way. I no, like, yeah. I'm very inspired by I, I think a lot of people like the pictures, though, because I mean, yeah. they're, they're more, they're self explanatory, really. Well, I think they are. And I think that book is, I haven't. I'm not very well versed, as I've said, in colour theory, but it sort of illustrates well that colour isn't a truth, that it's relative, that you read colour against the colour that is next to it. And I think that's the best takeaway from that book, because that's all you sort of need to know. It's all about relationships. Absolutely. And I love that colour is relational. Mm -hmm. So the the project that I did in Southampton with hospital rooms was in a um, forensic referral unit, a sort of locked, secure, medium-secure mental health unit for young people Mm -hmm. aged between 11 and 18. And there's not many secure units for children in the UK that need sort of mental health support. I mean, it was, and it was a very inspiring, life-changing project for me in lots of ways. I'd never been in an environment like that. And the opportunity to make work that makes that space maybe happier or calmer or just more sort of curative for people that were living there was such a great opportunity. And I, you know, I loved every minute of working on that project. When I did a site visit, because we were allowed to kind of, there were about six artists involved in that project, and we were allowed to choose an area of the hospital to work in. And I mean, and there are so many spaces, it's very, you know, these kind of clinical environments, they're, they're generally kind of like white boxes with lots of really ugly furniture in, so almost any space, you know, you could have made work in. But the room I chose was the tribunal room, which is where there's a lot of meetings. It's where they hear um, appeals against section notices. And they also use that room for video conferencing. So it's the one room in the hospital that is often seen from outside the hospital as well. Um, And I love the idea that whatever I make could be seen on a screen or it could be experienced, you know, in real life in the room. Obviously, that has some sort of resonance with a lot of the work that I make as well, that there's this reference to some screen culture. And what I really loved about that space as well 
is that there was one yellow wall. They'd actually you know, mm. tried to add some colour to that space. It was a fairly disgusting yellow. It wouldn't have been a yellow that I would have chosen. It was, it was kind of a bit acrid, to be honest. And yellow yeah. can be quite a difficult colour, mm. I think. You know, it's, it's, it's playful and full of, full of light and sort of implied warmth, but it also can be quite sickly. Um, but looking at that wall, and I came away and I thought, I said, I've got to do something with that wall. So the, the work that I made started from that yellow wall that they painted. And then so I worked around then with kind of um, sort of relational colours from yellow across the two walls that adjoined it. And then the wall opposite the yellow wall, I then conjoined those two colours with a kind of fractured surface of colour from one side to the other. So a blend of colour but across a series of geometric shapes that had different tones as well. So it almost looked like a kind of folded wall. And I wanted it in my head when I was thinking about it, I wanted the room to look a bit like a kind of rainbow had rushed through it and kind of fractured on the back wall. So it's like, I wanted it to look kind of explosive, but also for the painting to look like it had taken time to create. So there's something contemplative about it as well. Mm -hmm. And after I'd made the painting and it'd been in the hospital for about six months, I spoke to one of the occupational therapists and he said, actually, what's really interesting is he'd had um, a patient in the room who... um, you know, wasn't particularly good at sitting still, you know, they, they were quite agitated in the meeting. But he said they actually watched their eye kind of follow the colours, the lines of colour from one side of the room to the other, and they sat quite still and calmly during a meeting in a way that they hadn't done before. And that, that's, that's interesting, amazing, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think my work is quite active and dynamic in lots of ways. It's, I wouldn't say it's particularly restful, but it's interesting how in different contexts, you know, work and particularly I think this is to do with colour the way you use colour can be very active or it can be very calming and can slow you down and make you really look or feel a particular way it's very emotive I think you've got that in your work as well that in some areas you've got a real calming slowing down yeah and in others you've got an energy and a movement I'm looking at this these paintings here that have got like balls that are going across them and arrows and other shapes and uh, that lead your eye through, but they're offset against this quite spacious, blended, quite calm background. Yeah, and again, you know, the work is made at different speeds. So I paint, I do quick painting where I'm literally sort of just very quickly varying colour across canvas or throwing paint and moving it around to create its own shapes. And then there's other areas that involve a lot of masking tape that takes a really long time. And I like that there's those different speeds within the painting. You know, painting can be incredibly fast and intuitive, but it can also be really slow and painful to make. (laughs) But I like that you can sort of balance those things on a canvas and, you know, end up with an experience that's quite kind of unique and diverse. Yeah, yeah. So um, you talked about high art earlier as well as your uh, kind of the everyday and I've just wondered if there were particular artists that, um, you know, have been um, important to you at different times or you felt an affinity with. Yeah, I mean, loads. I mean, really, for me, I love a lot of kind of post-war American painting, great right. sort of abstract expressionists, those amazing women that did massive canvases like yeah. Mitchell and Frankenthaler, Krasner. I also love Agnes Martin, the quietness and the kind of methodical way in which she worked, but the beautiful fragility of her slightly wobbly handmade lines as well, that sensitivity of those. Um, 
I love hard edge paintings, the big graphic stuff and sort of sculptural things by Judd Smith. And pop art, you know, I love stuff that reminds us of the real world as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a real mashup of those kind of big, heroic, sometimes quite macho painting, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think the scale is quite important, isn't it? I think so. And uh, Paintings and you can walk into, paintings that kind of surround you and are bigger than you are. Yeah, yeah. And good to see women doing that kind of painting, although we didn't necessarily hear that much about them at the time. No, no but thankfully now we can talk about them a bit more. Uh, but no, of course, of course we didn't hear about them anywhere near enough. And sometimes their painting was a lot better than the people we did hear about. So it's good to have a, the show at the Whitechapel at the moment. I haven't been to see that yet, but I'm so excited to go. Yeah, yeah I think about time. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. cool. So I wondered if you'd like to say a bit about the process. I know you've mentioned about stenciling and other ways of working, but what kind of paint do you use? And Yeah, I mean, I always use acrylic paint. I, I mean, as a person, I don't have very much patience waiting around for oils to dry. But because I paint in layers as well, it's, it's much better for me to have paint that dries quite quickly. And to be honest, I love the kind of high-key colours that you get with acrylic paint. The fact that it is sort of synthetic works with the type of paintings that I make. I like... You know, again, I would love to be one of those artists that would spend time making my own paints or grinding pigments from natural things, but that's just not who I am at no. all. And I'm very happy buying amazing coloured tubes of paint, which I then sort of, you know, mix in the studio. Sometimes on larger canvases, I use spray paint on the backgrounds, so pre-mixed colour in a can. And mm. I quite like that in a way, because it means I'm not making decisions about colour. And I'll lay them in a way uh, where you get kind of different colours emerging through the different kinds of soft, dewy layers of the spray paint. And then from that point onwards, I'll always mix my own colours that kind of respond to or relate to the colours that are there. Again, I don't think very carefully, I don't think about colour. It's just something that I work out as I go. I make decisions as the painting reveals itself. And it's the same with the forms that I'm doing as well. I like working with a lot of opposite forms. So, yeah, shapes that are quite organic, where paint has been just dropped or dribbled or spread across with a big palette knife. Offset against stuff that is much more kind of hard-edged structured that adds a kind of architecture to the canvas. Yes, I mean, these these are quite amazing because you're kind of looking through grids and... Um... Yeah, and often the grids are put on last, even though they look like they're in the background. Yeah, Yeah, and I do that quite a lot as well. I work from the more sort of chaotic, more intuitive, more sort of edgeless symbols that I use first. And then I'm adding more hard-edged stuff as I go, because that's what helps me encourage kind of movement and sort of space and interesting relationships between... For me, what's a sort of abstract painting and what's something that is almost suggestive of something from the real world or something that we might be familiar with off the street or through looking at a computer screen. Yeah, I like that yeah. as well, that painting, you know, we don't have to use these definitions that we always have done of what's abstract and what's Absolutely. representational. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, um, they're, they're amazing. Uh, it seems that, they're, that they... Oh, in, in series? Are these a series? Or? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't purposefully work in series. I think I explore a set of motifs across, a, say, across a series, having not said they're a series. But they're, they're a series and not a series. I'm exploring particular motifs at a time, but I don't necessarily think of how the paintings relate to each other necessarily. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. if you see what I mean. And I think, 
you know, some concerns kind of moving in and out a little bit. So, like, this, this, the paintings that are in the studio at the moment, they have a lot of these big kind of swiped paint marks in them. The paintings I'm working on now probably don't have that. They're much more kind of graphic in a way with more sort of hard edges. And I come in and out of these kind of ideas within the work. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean they're gone forever, you know. They're just, they're just what feels right at, at the time, you know. Yeah. And I think I probably do have things that I'm investigating, but I might not always, always be able to articulate them until much later, which I think is probably yeah. what a lot of painters... Probably I think do. so, yeah. I think there's so much about painting that's unconscious, really. Uh, yeah. Or um, subconscious and intuitive. Yeah, absolutely. You don't kind of question it at the time. Um, and it, it's good to get to that stage. I think it's quite hard to, to get to that stage where you're not questioning, you know. I always think if you start asking, why am I doing this, what's it for, what's it mean, you might as well just stop painting. Yeah. It, but it also takes quite a lot of confidence to do that, I think. To yeah, get to the point a, where you can let go of logic. Yeah, and analysis and the critical voice. and Exactly. And I think that. that's what... It's, it's what Agnes Martin said about painting with your back to the world. You know, it's just yeah. turning your back on a reality and just kind of doing your own thing. You know, I'm, I'm glad about the stage where I can do that. I think I found that much harder years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it seems you've developed all your vocabulary and all your kind of um, colour arrangements and things not that there aren't more to explore I'm sure there are yeah. but but there's a real confidence in what you're doing isn't there yeah and I'm glad that that comes across you know I think probably being in the studio making paintings is the one place in the world where I do feel confident and in control of things um, you know I might not know what I'm doing but I feel like I can make it into something and that's yeah. that's quite a powerful feeling I think yeah, I mean, it's a bit like composing, isn't it? Composing music. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and getting the kind of notes together. And it's interesting, someone came to the studio last week and they were talking about my work in a, using that kind of musical vocabulary. But they were talking about sampling and oh, sort yeah. of remixing. And there's definitely like where I've maybe borrowed languages that are quite familiar from the world, mixed in with stuff that's much more kind of organic that just evolves from the process of painting. I really like that. Then it is a bit like sampling from art history and from the street and from, you know, watching TV too much. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. And it, does music play a part in your painting? Do you listen to music or...? I sometimes listen to music in the studio and I sometimes find music quite irritating. It, it, again, music is quite an emotive thing for me. Mm. I can't listen to anything that is too slow or kind of somber or emotional yes. actually I can't listen to things with lyrics when I'm painting it's too it, it moves me too much yeah, yeah so generally if I listen to music it's it's not even necessarily stuff I would want to listen to at home it's generally something that's quite up tempo usually quite mechanical so probably like electronic music or techno or something yeah. that just has a, a beat or a rhythm that kind of means I'm painting at a certain pace yeah. But sometimes I don't like music on. I get quite annoyed with stuff in my ears often. So I might listen to podcasts probably more often than music if I'm painting. Yeah. It's quite distracting music because it is quite emotional, I think, and it kind of interrupts me a bit. Yeah. And um, I I didn't know whether there was any parallels between sort of like sounds and colour in the work or... I think there's parallels between maybe shapes and colour or words and colour. Less than sounds, oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Sounds, I, those I'm kind of 
heading towards synesthesia here. And yeah, I mean, there's something of that, but I think probably less to do with sound yeah. and more to do with words that I think of when I'm painting or the titles of the work. Generally, I think of titles that, for me, sound like the painting looks. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a sound kind of implication there, like the spoken word and yeah. the kind of sensibility that's on the canvas. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes, it, it does. Yeah. It does, actually, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know when... I mean, some people um, see see words when they see colours, don't they? I didn't know yeah. whether, whether, whether you have that facility or not. Or... Not really. No. I think it's more... I'm just relating things rather than it being something that just inherently happens. Yeah. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. And I know um, in the... Um, work in Barrera and probably elsewhere, you started investigating kind of virtual reality. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in that. I think it's all very new and I'm not a particularly high-tech person at all. But I am really interested in the kind of imaginary spaces that I create in my canvases and then how that can be taken a step further. So I've started to make some artworks that involve augmented reality and if you're not sure what that is, that it's basically a kind of technology where you can sort of program or generate virtual spaces that you can look at on your phone. So the way that would work looking at one of my paintings is you would hold your phone up to my painting and elements, sort of animated elements would pop out of the canvas. And they're immersive, so you can walk around them in 360 degrees. Yeah, and the painting that I did in Barrero had a sort of AR activation to it. So you could scan a QR code and then shapes would move in front of it and you could sort of walk around it. So it's taking one step further into the real world from the implied fantastical spaces that my canvases make. Yeah. And I, lo- yeah. and I love it, you know, when I, the first time I was sort of exploring that, it's like, oh God, this is like magic. You can actually walk all the way around these things and they... You know, it really is a way to bring painting to life. And I love the way that, you know, I love ways of thinking about how painting can exist in the digital world we live in. Yeah. Paintings yeah. on canvas will always still live, you know. Yeah, but, I, but, yeah. but how do we sort of, I don't know, reimagine them, I think, through a digital lens? I find that really fascinating. I think, I think with that, uh, you know, that facility, um, it takes you into another sensory dimension, doesn't it, of space particularly? Yeah, it yeah. does. I mean, it's very relevant to the, the way I explore a flat canvas. You know, I love that you can create something on a canvas that looks three-dimensional or has illusionary space. But you can also do that in real life as well through, you know, augmented reality. And I think, it's, yeah. I think that's fascinating, that kind of what's real, what's not kind of question. And um, I just wondered whether, you know... Um, Something of this relates back to your PhD, because did you not do a PhD about space? I did, about interior spaces, and I was looking a lot at kind of the relationship between artwork and architecture, and interior architectural space as a kind of metaphor for psychological space and sort of, you know, interior thinking. Um, And it probably does. Weirdly, when I was working on my PhD, I don't think I really was exploring it in such an organic way. The PhD process I found quite restrictive in terms of having to always validate what I was making through other people's ideas or theories. Uh, And actually, that's not how I work. I'm not a very logical person, really, when I'm in the studio. I just do stuff. And having to always relate it back to what other people said as a way of validating its kind of importance or 
you know, the way that that gave it value, I found that quite limiting. And I think for a while I reacted against that after I finished. Annoying. <laughs> really annoying, actually. And it was about six, I did part time, so six years of being permanently annoyed, which <laughs> which wasn't the most creative period of my life, I don't think. Strangely, now I've stopped, actually I've stopped reading art theory as much as I was then. I've just started reading lots of other stuff and enjoying filling my brain with other things. I think now I look at the work I make as being much more honest in terms of the stuff that I should just have been making without having to, you know, always offset it with sort of theoretical ideas. And strangely, now I've done that, I can see some of those ideas creeping back in. So I wrote a lot about the uncanny and I think there's lots of kind of uncanniness within the paintings I make now things that are strangely familiar from the real world but not actually the things themselves and things to do with like twins or multiples or mirroring of reality or mirroring of shapes or opposition all those ideas were there when I was writing my PhD but I don't think I explored them formally like I do now it's much more from a kind of theoretical position yeah, yeah, no, now I, I imagine there's so much more within the work. Yeah, and I'm much more happy with that. You know, mm. I, doing a PhD is an amazing thing. I'm glad I did it. I would never want to do anything like that again. And probably if I, if you asked me if I do one now, I'd be like, no, there's no way. I don't need that in my life. But you're um, still connected with academia because you you teach quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I work at um, a couple of art schools in London, at City Guilds and at University of the Arts and uh, at Terps as well. I do some mentoring for Terps. Um, and I love that. I, I love being a kind of freelance teacher. I, I liked less having a proper job in education. It's much better to be based in the studio for me now and just do sort of part-time bits and pieces of teaching I feel like I've got much more to share which is good yeah but you know teaching is a very good way to connect you with a kind of younger generation of artists but also to like give back to share some of the experiences that you develop over your time as an artist in the studio you know generally art schools are great places to be generally yeah 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 well I think it's great that you um you can you know you've got that combination and it kind of fits in with your practice where it rather than the other way around. Yeah, and I do think it's good for artists to get out of the studio sometimes as well. We all spend quite a lot of time by ourselves. And I love that. I love coming here and shutting the door and being left alone to just do whatever weird shit I want to do. But it's also good as a human to have to talk to people sometimes (laughs) as well. Yeah, I've I've found that too, like coming out and talking with people about colour. It's been really refreshing. Yeah, and you find a lot of kindred spirits if you get out of the studio, much more than you think you would do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so just going back to colour, um, so I was just wondering about um, any kind of uh, colour memory or colour symbolism, whether anything like that, um, you know, has played a role in the past or... Gosh, I don't know. I mean, that's such an interesting question because I don't think too much consciously about the colours that I'm using but I do also think I have a very particular palette that I use Mm. I don't you know my work is kind of quite I use quite dark backgrounds I think I I, I get frustrated when people describe my work as colourful because I think that makes it seem mindless like I'm just slapping lots of primary colours around and that's absolutely not what I do I I use a lot of oppositional colours dark backgrounds, more high-key things in the foreground, implied sort of metallic 
colours and sort of neons. Mm. I like a lot of sort of strange colours that shouldn't sit within the same world together, probably. And I do think my colour sensibility doesn't come from the organic world. You know, I'm not using sort of organic colours. They are very synthetic looking and like the sort of colours that you would see on a TV screen or from, from computers, you know. And I love that. That's, that's my type of colour. Yeah. I'm not a very pastel-y kind of person in no. real life or in the studio. I like strong, bold, dynamic, energetic colours that work yeah. together. But not bright colours just for the sake of it either. There's, you know, I think there's more sensitivity to the way I use colour than that. Yeah, and they, they're not primaries. They're all somewhere around the spectrum relating to each other. Yeah, I very rarely you, use primaries. Yeah. I don't find them particularly satisfying or comfortable or interesting. I, mi- I no. like mixing colour. Yeah. And I think I am actually quite good at mixing colour, looking at a colour and knowing how to make it out of paint. You know, yeah. I think that's something that I've sort of learnt just by using colour quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and what have you got on at the moment? What projects have you got coming up? Uh, well, next week I am painting a mural outside, an external wall, mm-hmm. and that's part of um, Ashford Mural Festival, which is a brand new sort of festival celebrating public art in Ashford in Kent. So I'm doing uh, a wall. I don't often paint outside, and I'm absolutely horrified that it's suddenly gone really cold again, so that's probably not going to be much fun. But I'm doing that next week. That's yeah. good. I've got a couple of other little projects bubbling away that I can't reveal oh, yeah. yet. Yeah. But, you know, always busy in the studio, working on some new paintings. Um, yeah, got a, yeah, I can't really say much more <laughs> other than the mural I'm doing next week. But there are a few other things popping up over the next few months. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great to see you're busy. And I went to the London Art Fair um, earlier in the year. And it was wonderful to go through the doorway and have all that archway. Um, yeah, I mean, that, was, that yeah. was a dream, actually. So last year, I showed some paintings in the art fair. And this year, I made a sort of architectural intervention on the front of the Business Design Centre. So I was, I was on the art fair this year, which was great. And again, it's such a beautiful building. It's, you can't compete with that. So working around that as a kind of compositional problem was quite interesting um but yeah I love doing those things where I'm kind of working with architectural spaces yeah 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 so it, I mean space seems to be the thing that uh whether uh like whether they're on the canvas or whether you take the paint to the, the building it's creating these worlds is um quite a key thing I think so I mean really that's what we all do as painters we're all creating our own worlds aren't we I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my mind definitely feels more like a kind of world with strange things floating around in it. But I think probably to some extent that's what painting is. We're all creating our own strange realities, aren't we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been really lovely to come and talk with you. Thanks very much, Charlie. Oh, I know. I've loved having you here. Thank you for visiting me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks to Charlie for a, a very fascinating insight into her relationship to colour. I'd also like to thank Stuart Bowditch for editing the podcast, Arts Council England for supporting it through a Develop Your Creative Practice grant, and Contemporary British Painting, an artist-led organisation that I'm a member of, for helping to publicise it. Thank you for listening. A Geography of Colour is a monthly podcast with a new painter each month, talking about their relationship with colour. Do follow it in your podcast player and share it with your friends. You can follow A Geography of Colour, 
and Charlie Peters on Instagram. Also, you can follow Contemporary British Painting at Paint Britain there too, and sign up to their monthly newsletter to receive more information. Links to everything can be found in the podcast credits on SoundCloud.